The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. Good morning. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March to Zion broadcast. It is my great blessing and privilege to share this time with you. I invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. We meet each Sunday morning at 1030 and the second and fourth Wednesday nights at six o'clock. Our website is BethlehemPBC.org. That's BethlehemPBC.org. I'm also pleased to announce the March Design broadcast is now affiliated with Grace Alone Radio Network, an internet radio ministry that broadcasts around the clock and around the world. You can download the app on an iPhone or Android by going to the website. It's gracealoneradio.net. That's gracealoneradio.net. I would also love to hear from you. You can reach me easily at my email address. It's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. Following this song, we'll bring to you a message from the Word of God.
turn in your Bibles to Second Peter, the first chapter. We continue preaching from Second Peter, chapter one. We've been doing this for many months, and I hope and pray that the Lord continues to bless in this endeavor. Second Peter, chapter one, and we're going to look at verse sixteen this morning. Second Peter one and sixteen. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We just finished speaking about how Peter emphasized the importance of remembering three times from verses 12 to 15. In those four verses, three times in four verses, he says, remember, remember, remember. He wants us to remember the doctrine of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth that's written in the Word of God, that's plain as day when we let the Word of God say what it says and mean what it means and not try to let things hinder us or become stumbling blocks or what we've thought about Scripture or what we've been told someone says, but what we see there ourselves as the Bereans in Acts 17 were more noble than, than others around because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether or not these things were so. I tell you, child of God, I, I've been blessed to deal with, with many people over the years who have been brought up to believe a different way and came to see the truth of the Word of God. Those that have come up differently and heard different things and been taught different doctrine that was not according to the Scripture have confessed to me readily that it was not easy in untangling all of the things that had been brought to their attention throughout many years of, of going and hearing certain types of preaching, whatever the doctrine might have been, it's not easy to untangle it, but the rest assured, it can be untangled. It can be figured out. Now, this morning, we want to focus in on three little words there in verse 16, where Peter refers to cunningly devised fables. And I'm going to borrow a phrase that we hear very often today so that we can kind of put it into context of today and understand what Peter's talking about in reference to what we know today. Cunningly devised fables is what Peter calls it. And I want to use, because I'm sure everyone's familiar with this phrase, urban legends. We've all heard the phrase urban legends, and it usually carries some type of fable or myth relative to some something that's happened somewhere in the country. Maybe there's a seed of truth to something happened. It gets embellished and embellished and embellished until it, it becomes this legend. I'm not going to spend time referring to any of those legends because most of them are silly and they're not worth mentioning. I just want to borrow the phrase urban legend, and I want to add one word to it. I want to talk to you about spiritual urban legends. That's the same thing that Peter refers to when he says cunningly devised fables. The word fable there comes from the word that we know today of myth, a myth, something that is not true, or something that may have a seed of truth in it, and it gets embellished and turned and twisted and, and added to and even taken away from until it becomes a total fable. And several times you'll find the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, referring to fables. Let's don't be turned to fables, a myth. And it comes from a Greek word, the word sophism, which is a word we don't use today, but it has an interesting definition that I want to share with you. This Greek word, the root word of fable or myth, is when a false argument puts on the appearance of a true one, then it is properly called a sophism, or also we would know the word fallacy or a falsehood. A false argument puts on the appearance of a true one. Now, that is a prime way to describe a spiritual urban legend. There are so many things that are put, out, put forth out there to, today from men and women that claim to be truth. And on the appearance, it sounds good. And on the appearance, it seems true. 
But at the root of it, it can't even be found in the Bible. And this is shocking to many people. Now, listen to me. As we look at this, this may be shocking, but I want you to understand a couple things. Number one, I don't have an agenda. I'm not. I don't have an agenda in, in bringing forth these spiritual urban legends to the to the forefront. And number two, it's not just primitive Baptists. It's not just me, and it's not just the primitive Baptist church or uh, the old Baptist church that has discovered these spiritual urban legends that are that are really myths or may have a hint of truth or a seed of truth, but they've been embellished or added to or taken away from. So just understand, this is not just coming from me. This is not just a position I have. As a matter of fact, a couple of the people that I want to quote to you this morning, some direct quotes are not even primitive Baptists. So that way we can understand it's not just me that comes up with this. And, and if it causes one person to pick up their Bible and to to study this and to look at it, then I've accomplished something. I give all the Lord all the glory. But if it just causes one person to pick up their Bible and say, well, wait a minute, you mean that's not in the Bible? And let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Some popular, cunningly devised fables, what I'm going to call popular spiritual urban legends. These are going to be shocking to some people, but here are some spiritual urban legends. The sinner's prayer is a spiritual urban legend that has been formed by man that cannot be found in the Bible. The phrase, accepting Christ as your personal Savior, he's knocking on the door of your heart, and we, you need to accept him as your personal Savior. That is not found in the Scripture. The term rapture, which is such a, an important and integral part of the system that has been built around dispensationalism on the return of the Lord, the word rapture, not even found in the Bible. We talked about this a few weeks ago about how we've always heard this legend of you better not pray for patience because the Bible says that if you pray for patience, the Lord's going to send you tribulation. That is a spiritual urban legend, and we spent a great deal of time, I'll refer you back to those messages several weeks ago, on the subject of patience from Second Peter, where he says, add patience to temperance, and add temperance to knowledge, and knowledge to virtue, and virtue to faith. That is a spiritual urban legend, that God is going to send you tribulation to give you patience. The, the Bible doesn't teach that. Another spiritual urban legend is, the Lord won't put on you more than you can bear, <laughs> You've heard people say that. That's a spiritual urban legend. I tell you, the Bible teaches that in many circumstances, just ask the, the nation of the Jews, the Lord put on them more than they could bear. He wiped their nation out. It was unbearable to them, to many of them. And many of them perished in the, in the onslaught of the Babylonians whenever the, the nation was wiped out. The Bible doesn't say the Lord won't put on you more than you can bear. That's a twist on another verse in there. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, talks about the Lord will make you a way of escape so you can bear a temptation that comes from the world or the devil. So you see, these are all spiritual urban legends. And the last great, incredible spiritual urban legend is the idea that if someone commits suicide, then that means they automatically go to hell. That is probably the most far out urban legend that has no seed of truth anywhere in it from the Bible. There is no verse of scripture anywhere in the entire word of God that can support the idea that the way that a child of God leaves this life, whether by suicide, whether by you know drowning, whether by being burned up, killed in war, there is nothing in the scripture that says the way a person leaves this world changes where they go. And as a matter of fact, I'll just, I'll just make this little side note here about the spiritual urban legend related to suicide. I've been blessed to write an article in several local papers for a number of years now, around 10 years. And of all of the articles that I've ever written, I wrote a series on suicide three or four years ago. I wrote three articles, one that printed each week, and, and I took up the three 
most well-known and recognizable suicides that are in God's Word. The suicide of King Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of the nation of Israel, the suicide of Samson, and the suicide of Judas Iscariot, who was the traitor. We, we looked at that in a different article each week, showing and proving from the Scripture, plain as day, it's right there in the Scripture, that the way that those people left this world made no difference on where they went. In other words, God had his people, and in the case of Judas Iscariot, he went to his own place. So the way they left this world never changed where they went. And without exception, listen to me now, listen, without exception, I cannot tell you that that is the the greatest response I've ever received from any articles that I've ever put in a paper had to do with that spiritual urban legend that you go to hell when you commit suicide. I even had a, a dear, dear lady call me whose daughter had committed suicide many years ago and expressed to me the relief that she felt in knowing what the scripture truly said, truly as the scripture made her free. And understanding that a child of God is held in the arms of Jesus and no man can pluck them out of his hand. Praise God for that. So you see, this isn't just, okay, well, let's dispel these spiritual urban legends and then we could thumb our lapel and say, okay, well, we showed that that doesn't exist. No, that's not what this is about. This is about truth. And this is about God's glory. And this is about being made free from a myth. And the myth of going to hell when you commit suicide When you learn the truth about that, that how we leave this world makes no difference on where we go, then number one, that sets you free. It makes you free, and it also gives glory to God because God won't lose a single one of his children no matter how they leave this world. So dispelling spiritual urban legends is not just about, okay, we can say we dispelled an urban legend. No, it is about God's glory. What does his truth say? What is the truth of God? So as we consider that these cunningly devised fables, I want you to see, especially from the one we're going to talk about this morning, I want you to see how nobody with just an evil intent came up with these legends. Nobody just set, set out one day and said, well, I'm going to deceive God's people and, and, and give birth to an urban legend. No, as you'll see from the one we're going to take up this morning, it, it happened over time. It, didn't just, it happened little by little. I love the example that an old preacher gave one time that's a good example that if you leave out of the Atlanta airport and you're headed to Los Angeles and the pilot sets his dial to arrive at Los Angeles at such and such time, if he is one degree off when he leaves the, the Atlanta airport, if he sets that dial one degree off, he's going to wind up in Washington State and not in Los Angeles airport. Because if the dial is one degree off, it, it doesn't look like it's off the first few hundred miles when it's in the air. But the next thing you know, it's going to continue to drift, continue to drift, continue to drift, continue to drift until it's way off. And that's how these spiritual urgent legends oftentimes are born. So first, let's consider this accepted as truth, spiritual urban legend. And it is the idea that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you'll let him in, if you'll accept him as your personal savior, well, then you'll be one of his children. Let's consider this. And I want to give you a quote from a well-known preacher from the 1900s, A.W. Tozer. A lot of you may be familiar with him. He was not a primitive Baptist. And that's one of the reasons I want to emphasize that this isn't just a primitive Baptist thing or an old Baptist thing. This is this is others who have recognized these spiritual urban legends. Now, this is a quote from A.W. Tozer on the accepting Christ, that Christ is trying to get in. He can't do anything without you doing something. Now, this is a direct quote. Now, the particular attitude revealed here about accepting Christ is wrong because it makes Christ stand hat in hand somewhere outside the door waiting on our human judgment. We know about his divine person. We know that he is the Lamb of God who suffered and died in our place. We know all about his credentials, yet 
We let him stand outside on the steps like some poor timid fellow who is hoping he can find a job. We look him over, then read a few more devotional verses and ask, What do you think, dear? Do you think we ought to accept him? I really wonder if we should accept him. And so, in this view, our poor Lord Christ stands hat in hand, shifting from one foot to another, looking for a job, wondering whether he will be accepted. It will be at his word that the graves shall give up their dead, and the dead shall come forth. I love this. Alive forevermore. At his word, the fire shall burst loose and burn up the earth, and the heavens and the stars and planets shall be swept away like a garment. He is the one, the mighty one. And Mr. Tozer has an exclamation mark there. And yet there he stands. How grotesque can it be? The question ought not to be whether I will accept him. The question ought to be whether he will accept me. He has promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. But the idea that we can make him stand while we render the verdict of whether he is worthy of our acceptance is a frightful calumny or puzzle, and we ought to get rid of it. And he quotes John 15 and 16, You did not choose me. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Mr. Tozer has been dead for many years now, but I heartily amen these words. I think he hit the nail on the head. I think he got figured that out completely. The spiritual urban legend, this idea that Jesus is wringing his hands, and, and I love how he put standing hat in hand, waiting for us to do something. This God who spoke the earth into existence and will speak and the earth will be no more, yet he can't get into our heart. I tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. If you want to know the truth about whether or not we accept Jesus, the truth is found in the Word of God. And this is what you'll find in the New Testament. The word accept, accepting, or acceptance. It only occurs about 28 times. And only 10 or 12 of those times does it have anything to do with salvation. Only 10 or 12 times in the New Testament does the word accept, accepting, or acceptance, or some derivative thereof, have anything to do with salvation. And without exception, listen to me, child of God. Let's dispel the urban legend that, that Jesus can't do anything unless we accept him. Let's dispel it, because without exception, every time that word accept, accepting, acceptance, or accepted occurs relative to salvation, it is always, without exception, referring to God accepting us, not us accepting him. Let me give you an example in Ephesians, the first chapter. In Ephesians, the first chapter, it says in verse for according as he, God, hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, that's God's will, not ours, to the praise of the glory of his grace, God's grace, wherein he, God, hath made us accepted in the beloved, and the beloved is Christ Jesus. You see, he's accepted us in Christ Jesus through the sacrifice of Jesus. He didn't offer Jesus to us. The Hebrew letter tells us that. He didn't offer Jesus to us. Jesus offered himself to God, and God accepted the sacrifice. And accordingly, when the sins were put away, he, we're accepted in him. Isn't that amazing how that can get turned around just little by little? Acts the 10th chapter would have been a good place for Peter to stand in front of Cornelius and said, all right, now, Cornelius, I've seen all this that you've done, and I've seen every, all the good things that are going on here, and you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. But that's not what Peter said. The urban legend is dispelled out of the mouth of the Apostle Peter himself, who also writes Second Peter, which we are studying out of. In Acts 10 and verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. See, that's God accepting. And we understand we're accepted in the beloved. Child of God, I encourage you to look at it, study it, make it your own. 
Don't just take my word for it. There's nothing to hide here. Get that King James translation out and look at what the words say there, because some of the new translations change the word around, by the way. You may not find the exact words that are included in the original translation in some of these new versions, but you'll find that every time the word accept, accepting, acceptance, or accepted occurs, it's always in reference to us being accepted by God, not our accepting him or our letting him in. So where did this idea of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and and we need to accept him, you know, let him in and accept him, where did it come from? Well, very briefly, there was an event early on in the New World, the world of the colonies in Europe in the days of the 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, around the Reformation time, called the Great Awakening. And in the Great Awakening, you had these great men like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, and John Wesley and others that preached a radical repentance and a radical revival. And eventually, the biblical passage... In Revelations 3 and verse 20 began to be a popular tool for the conversion of people that were not Christians. They would preach this. They would say in Revelations 3 and 20 in a way to appeal to people that were not followers of the Lord. And they'd say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This passage was written explicitly to lukewarm Christians. Notice it says, It is he that hath an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's said over and over in Revelation 1 through 3. And here he's talking to the church at the Laodiceans. And the Laodiceans were lukewarm Christians. They they thought that they were uh, rich and increased with goods. Verse 17 of Revelation 3, they had need of nothing. And they did not know that according to Jesus, they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says to them, I am counseling you to open this door. Hear me. If you hear me knocking on this door, what door? The church door. It's very easy to see that, and that's what's always been taught and believed about that verse of Scripture. It says that Jesus was standing at the door of the church and knocking, the church of the Laodiceans. Can you imagine Jesus not being in your church? (laughs) Here at the church of Laodicea, he was on the outside, and he was standing at the door and knocking. And if any man, any born-again man, any lukewarm Christian in there who was already born again, already a child of God, not Jesus trying to get into the heart of someone, Jesus wants to get into the church. And this doesn't mean that he's powerless to get in. It just simply means that they, because of their conduct, they, they're reaping what they sowed. They didn't reap spiritual things, so they're sowing worldly things. And Jesus is not a part of that. They'd excluded Jesus from their church because of their attitude. They said, we're rich, we're increased with goods, we don't have need of anything. And Jesus said, you're not rich, you're poor, miserable, wretched, and blind, and you need to let me back in. So he's standing on the door of the church and knocking, and if any man hears his voice, he says, I'll come in and sup with you. Spiritual urban legend was born off of somebody using Revelations 3 and 20, some specific preachers that we hope to um, mention from history next time. They specifically used Revelations 3 and 20 in a way to appeal to people that were not Christians to try to get them to join the church and become Christians. Revelations 3 and 20 is written to born-again children of God who are lukewarm in a church. I pray the Lord will bless us to continue to look at these spiritual urban legends. You've been listening to the March to Zion broadcast. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write to the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church is located seven miles east of Gordo and ten miles west of Northport, just off Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. Services are each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. 
Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Amen.